Hi, it's Harriet here, host of the Dietitian Cafe podcast. Just jumping on before this episode to let you know about a really exciting opportunity. We are recruiting for a new RD to be host of a sub-branch of the Dietitian Cafe podcast. As many of you will know, the Dietitian Cafe is one of the biggest podcasts in nutrition and dietetics. We feature incredible guests from the world of nutrition and dietetics, and we've had over 15,000 streams. Could you be the newest host to join us? Well, we are looking for an enthusiastic and keen student dietitian. You must have completed at least one year of a nutrition and dietetic degree and have completed at least one clinical placement, either undergraduate or postgraduate. You must be based in the UK or Ireland. You must be an excellent communicator, passionate about dietetics and be flexible enough to record podcast episodes at, at various times. What will you be doing? Well, you may be helping to consult on the podcast strategy alongside HRS Communications. You may need to attend briefing calls with each podcast guest and help to record monthly episodes with the guests. So to find out more about the job description, we will link in the show notes to the full advert. Applications close at midnight on the 14th of July. And if you have any questions about the role, please do feel free to contact us at admin at hrscommunications.com. Thank you and good luck. Hello, I'm Harriet Smith and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. In this episode, we're going to be talking about growing your online presence as a healthcare professional. I'm delighted to be joined by fellow registered dietitian and founder of Dietitian Boss, Libby Rothschild. As a social media marketing expert, Libby's work shows dietitians around the world how to go from zero to creating a six-figure virtual practice using proven social media strategies. As a former clinical dietitian, Libby understands the pains associated with working a nine to five with limited pay and respect. She has transformed her own business from making $55,000 a month in a windowless clinical office to building a million dollar business within 15 months of going full time. We're going to be hearing from Libby about how she started her successful business and how she grew that successfully. She's going to share some of the challenges she's faced and share top tips for other health professionals, mainly dietitians on this podcast, who are also wanting to grow and start their own freelance dietetic business. So we hope you find this a really interesting and useful discussion. And without further ado, it's a great pleasure to welcome Libby onto the Dietitian Cafe podcast. Thank you for having me, Harriet. Just one quick uh, addendum. Uh, it was $55,000 a year in my clinical office, not a month. Uh, I make over $55,000 a month in my private practice now in my business. But no, it was $55,000 a year as a clinical dietitian. Right. Apologies. That's quite a, quite a I'll, group. <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit of a little bit of a uh, difference there between $55,000 annual and monthly. Um, otherwise, yep, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the intro. And I know a lot of what we're discussing today are important hot topics for dietitians all around the world. So I'm looking forward to contributing to a you know conversation so our peers can understand um, on a global level some of the resources and, and, and discussion points that can help you in your um, in your career. Great. So I think people listening to this podcast are going to be thinking we're based in the UK. So why have we got an American dietitian on the podcast talking to us about growing a freelance business when we're talking about entirely different countries? So I want to hit the nail on the head there. And can you discuss what you feel are the main similarities and differences between dietitians working in the US and the UK? 
Yeah, well, as far as uh, I can't speak specifically for all of the ins and outs as, as far as UK regulations, what I can say is that depending on what you're doing, let's say writing or anything freelance, uh, there are a lot of opportunities that don't confine you to a specific place. So a lot of what we say, uh, yet you might, depending on what it is, you might need to check with the regulations of where you live. Um, but overall, there are opportunity, endless opportunities for dietitians around the world. Um, so yes, you are going to need to check scope of practice and regulations specific to where you live. But I think that oftentimes dietitians create excuses and they uh, use um, any kind of compliance as a reason they don't want to move forward instead of just doing the basic due diligence and looking to see what can I do instead of, oh, I don't think I can do that. So I would say differences. Uh, I don't think there are as many differences as you guys would assume. Um, I've done work with dozens of dietitians from around the world, from Mumbai to Australia, Dubai, London, uh, all over UK included. Um, and there are opportunities. Yes, you have to be mindful of regulations, but I, I think getting started in, in your endeavor, whatever it might be freelance wise, um, and then looking to see specifically from there makes a lot of sense. So it, again, as far as differences in, in the United States, we have uh, state lines. So here we have to be respectful depending on, again, what you're doing. Writing is not the same as client care. And then if you're seeing patients, it's also not the same if you're doing broad-based education versus individualized coaching. So firstly, you want to, and I have a resource on my website, dietitianboss.com in the upper right corner for Americans as far as, and this is specific to coaching. So it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with freelance in, in terms of writing as an entirely different service. But for us in America, we have to look at where does our client live and where do we live if we're doing private coaching? And then we have to get licensed both in, in those states if it's a licensure state. Um, and again, I always ask uh, clients to do their due diligence. I am not responsible for compliance issues as a business coach. Uh, you need to do your due diligence. You always need to look into your state and make sure you're compliant and have corresponding contracts when it comes to private coaching. I show dietitians how to create group programming that's education-based, which can allow for a more broad-based scope of practice. Um, and there's a lot of nuances depending on what service you're delivering, whether it's a course or a membership. But again, you have your contract set in place and, and you have to know your scope of practice. So medical nutrition therapy is going to have a different scope than maybe weight loss or intuitive eating or something that it might be more um, health coach-based. Um, and is not using um, anything that's medical nutrition therapy related. So I would say in America, we have state lines in licensure, but that doesn't mean you need to be licensed because not all states have licensure. If that was confusing, go listen to what I said again, because I unpacked it. Again, I have a PDF on my site, um, but it depends on the scope of practice. It depends on where you live. It depends on where your client lives. And then there are very few states in America that are heavy licensure states. And it just means you just apply for licensure in that state if you have a client that lives there. Again, if you're doing broad-based education, it's different than if you're doing um, individualized counseling that requires uh, medical nutrition therapy. Um, so I don't know, Harry, if you want to talk a little bit about different types of work because freelance and private practice does not mean you're doing client care, right? If you're doing brand sponsorships versus if you're doing writing, those are completely different, you know, ball games than if you're doing counseling and coaching. And if you're doing group programming, education-based or individualized therapeutic methodologies with your clientele. 
Yeah, I think in the UK, especially, we use those terms freelance and private practice intermittently. Um, but you're quite right. Freelance may involve working with the media, working with brands, um, advising them on a corporate basis, whereas private practice predominantly is working clinically with private patients. Um, going back to what you said about um, the differences in the UK and the US, I mean, in the UK, we're regulated, as you probably know, by the HCPC. Um, and you can be a freelance dietitian and see, see patients across the country. Um, we're not, um, it doesn't limit us where we're based in terms of different parts of the country, but we do have some limitations with where clients are based globally, um, which depends on who our insurers are essentially. Um, in, the, in the UK, we undertake our dietetic training as a degree, similar to in the US, I imagine. Uh, a lot of that training is taken undertaken in the hospitals, part of the clinical placement. Is that the same in the U.S.? Yeah, so we are we're regulated by uh, the Academy of Nutrition CDR, and you have to get your uh, you have to sit in for um, and complete your dietetics courses, sit in for your examination, and then you have to pass the exam to be a registered dietitian, and then you have to complete continuing education, which is different per state. And then obviously different if you have a certified diabetes educator or any other kind of um, credentials and, and um, titles to your name that are approved by CDR, specifically certified diabetes educator, renal, et cetera, or sports nutrition. Additionally, the, the licensure is on top of that as well. Um, and then now the master's degree, I think it's 2024 is mandated. So you have to have a master's degree um, in order to uh, become a dietitian, which uh, just creates more education and uh, more barriers to enter, if you ask me, but, uh, and it doesn't necessarily need to be in nutrition. You just have to have a master's degree in anything. Um, so that is the process in America. Um, and I, I know it's, um, I can't speak for like Canada and other, you know, surrounding countries that might have some similarities. Um, and they have different territories and, and areas where they have different regulations in Canada, uh, specifically, I know that there's complexities to that as well. Um, but here in America, the big conversation um, is not about influencer marketing or, or getting any um, opportunities for, for global brand representation. There's the most talk that I hear is about state lines and coaching and counseling and the issues that dietitians have around that um, and, and respecting licensure. And the confusion is uh, involved with some states are heavy licensure states like Illinois, um, Chicago, Illinois, and other states um, like California aren't. So a licensure state versus a non-licensure state has you know, different regulations. And so again, we have to, as practitioners, do our due diligence. That doesn't mean we can't do what we want and be freelancers. Uh, we just have to check the requirements for our scope and where we're at and, and what, the, um, what the requirements are for, for where our client lives. Um, so I think it's easier than people make it out to be, but it is a little bit uh, of extra work, I would say for sure. Absolutely. Lots of um, red tape, it sounds, just like in the UK in many ways. Um, so so just to clarify, do um, American trainee dietitians undertake a lot of their clinical training within hospitals? And is that? So, so uh, yeah, to go back to that question, we are required to complete our clinical rotation, although uh, I'm not sure how standardized that is as far as how many weeks. I can't remember. I know if that's changed for your dietetic internship. So you are required to do clinical rotations in your dietetic internship. And then when you become a registered dietitian, you can choose the trajectory you want to go. It doesn't necessarily have to be clinical, although according to CDR, 
the statistics include uh, that 60% or more of dietitians in America go into clinical. So that is still the most traditional route that most dietitians go into. Um, anywhere from three to 10% go into uh, freelance or owning their own business, which is a very, very small percentage. So it's still very innovative and new for us to go outside of that clinical box. But as far as training, it's, it's really, you know, integrated into our dietetic internship, um, which can range, you know, certain internships might have a focus here in America. We have focus, uh, three foci, so it's uh, um, school food. And so anything that would be uh, food service related, community, and then there's clinical. So some internships might be more heavily distributed on the school uh, food, food service, where others might be more distributed on community. And then many, of course, are heavily distributed on clinical. So of course, you have to meet the minimum requirements of certain weeks and months in each, but some internships might have a stronger focus. That's really interesting. Um, I don't know what the percentage are of um, dietitians in the UK working private practice, but I imagine it's less than less than 40%, definitely. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure that the American, from what I've seen, stats here in America are very similar to what I've discussed in Canada and what I've seen in other countries of Australia as well, because I've, I've done work um, with uh, Australia, with Dietitian Connection in Australia, and I've, I've got several Canadian clients, um, and I've also done presentations at Canadian schools, so I'm very familiar with them. Uh, although I don't, their stats aren't as robust as what we have here, partially due to the fact that we have 90,000 dietitians or more in America, and there's I, I want to say around 7,000 or so in Canada, and maybe you know seven, eight for New Zealand and Australia combined. So you know we have the biggest pool here in America. I believe you what five to seven in the, in the UK dietitians. I'm not sure what the exact number is somewhere around there. If, if you're are you familiar with how many dietitians are registered in, in your in, uh, in your country? Yeah, I was looking at this the other day. I, I think it's eight thousand off yeah, the top of my head. Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in the UK, actually, most dietitians once they finish their clinical um, training at university, they will then go into an entrance level job in the National Health Service, the NHS, yep. um, and that's called a band five role. It's an entrance level NHS role as a dietitian, and many dietitians who work clinically will will stay working the NHS, and they will rotate around different areas of um, specialties. And many will progress up the band. So you go from band five to band six to band seven. And if you're managing a whole team of dietitians and you may even be a band eight. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering um, in, in the UK, like I mentioned, a, a minority work in private practice and freelance. Um, and it sounds like there's perhaps a slightly higher percentage in the US. Do you get taught much in, in the way of business skills? And are you encouraged to go into private practice when you're studying it in America? Uh no and no. So school, the curriculum and dietetics hasn't been updated for nearly a century. Um, that being said, everything is extremely archaic. So we have a heavy focus on food service, clinical and community, but we don't have an integrated component that focuses on entrepreneurship. Now, there are innovative schools out there and internships, master's programs that are adding bonus components um, it's, it's not you know, regulated or standardized by any means. It's definitely not integrated into the curriculum, but there are attempts. And I know that because I've been a part of, uh, you know, my podcast is recommended um, from Arizona State University as part of one of the, the assignments for the students is to listen to my podcast. So the, my work is in, integrated into some of the curriculum in schooling in college and universities for, for dietetics, but that's still seen as very new, right? So there, I don't know what percentage or, or uh, what area of um, how many 
uh, colleges or how many programs are integrating entrepreneurship. But from the discussions I've had, it is a minority and it's new. Um, and it is being discussed perhaps more, but it's still very much like ghost town. So we're not being taught any of the skills. And, and in, it sounds like in the UK, if you're climbing up that ladder, we have a similar system here at the Veterans Affairs. Um, it's one of the best hospitals you can work at here in America, Veterans Association, Veterans Affair. And uh, you get paid pretty well clinically. And they have like a system, like it's called GS, it's government job. So they've got like GS, don't quote me here, all, everyone who knows the VA is going to say, oh, you're saying it wrong, Libby. So it's like GS 12, GS 13, something like that. And you, and you get raises based on if you've got credentials, like, you know, diabetes educator, master's degree, years experience, all that kind of stuff. And you move up the ladder and you get paid more. And it's very comfortable for dietitians to get those types of jobs um, because the pay is, is, rel- is better than most other positions. Um, and so it, it sounds like where that might be an option for the slots open here in America, that's the mandate over in the UK from what I'm hearing. So if that is the case of what I'm hearing, Harriet, it sounds like the trajectory is engraved or integrated where you're from, that going down that clinical route is even more uh, supported and where it kind of leaves less room for innovation and flexibility, unless if you're really, really thinking thinking ahead or, or maybe trying to side hustle again, the motivation and inspiration and accountability for that is, is probably low, especially if there's fewer people doing it. Or in America, I would say that's similar, but perhaps slightly more accepted. Although I would say it's still seen as very new. I, every day I talk to dietitians that that say to me, like, I wasn't taught this in school. I didn't know it was possible. Um, is it possible to make six figures or can I, you know, I didn't know I could help people that I want to help. So, so there's, and, and whatever medium, right. Whether it's writing or whether it's doing brand work or coaching, counseling, or offering product services, uh, memberships, courses, eBooks, all the, all, all the uh, offerings, including speaking, so um, it's still new and it's, it's not standardized. And, and I hope that my body of work can represent that and help show dietitians um, that we have the opportunities, accountability and, and um, the step-by-step framework of how to become private practice operators for those who want to, whether it's a side hustle or full-time, um, because I don't think we have been afforded those opportunities and, and access to that information in the past. Yeah, I think it, that's a very important point you've made. We're not necessarily saying that one is better than the other. Um, and there will perhaps be many people who will thrive in a clinical environment working for the National Health Service in the UK, for example. But on the other hand, there are other people that may want to dip their toes in doing something different and having more autonomy in their role by going freelance, working in private practice. Well, so- Harriet. I definitely think private practice is better. So um, I will tell you why. For those that want to go into clinical and that's their jam, I totally get it. We need clinicians, uh, right? The hospital definitely needs to have dietitians there, you know, helping out with the staff and doing TPN and all the important work. Um, But that doesn't mean that you have to go down that path whether you're building something on the side because it's your creative outlet. And I believe all of us need to have a creative outlet right? And whether it's something you do occasionally as a speaker or a content creator or something you do regularly, uh, private practice is important. And I think that private practice is superior, truly. So there are tremendous amount of opportunities where you not only feel important and aligned, but you're able to create a flexible schedule on your terms. In private practice, you can see the people you want to see, you can make the money you want to make, you can set the hours you want to work. And for those people, for the naysayers who are listening, who say, oh, entrepreneurship isn't for everybody, Libby, that sounds hard. I get it, but you could do part-time. 
right? So you can create a, a side baby project that doesn't need to be full time. You can be a creator on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I think it's really important for dietitians to get our name out there and have consumers know who a dietitian is and how they can help them. And the only way we can do that is if we make ourselves available through free mediums like social media and we present ourselves as the expert. So I would argue that private practice is better. Yeah, no, it's really interesting that perspective. I think um, it, from a UK perspective, you've got to remember that it's very much embedded in our training that you will go into the NHS because a lot of dietitians traditionally, their degrees are also funded by the NHS. Um, so there is that expectation that you will essentially give back. Um, Do they have to? Is that a requirement? It's not, it's not obligatory. And um, actually, my understanding is that the degree is no longer funded by the NHS. It, it was when I was studying. Um, okay. But as you know, I, I didn't take that path myself for various reasons. I didn't go into the NHS when I graduated. And at that time, it felt like a very lonely path that I was taking. And I even reflected on whether dietetics was right for me. Um, sure. And actually, I went off and worked in PR for a while after graduating before going back to dietetics. Um, so you actively encourage dietitians, like you said, to go straight into private practice, regardless of how much clinical experience they have post-graduation. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of UK dietitians will, will perhaps find challenging because there's this real feeling that you need to go and get your five or your 10 years of experience in the NHS before you go private practice. So what would you say to people with that view? People who want to dig their grave in clinical, that's who you want me to write this? You want me to talk about those people? People who think that their only option is to die in clinical and not do anything else besides just punch in and out. I would say to them that they have opportunities and that it sure it's a lonely path because three to 10% of us, according to American statistics are operating our own business, but it's absolutely possible. And there are thousands of dietitians who are doing it, whether it's on the side, you know, part-time or full-time. Um, so there are communities out there like mine. Uh, there are free resources like this podcast and like my podcast, Dietitian Boss or YouTube channels like mine are opportunities and resources to help you navigate that journey and create your own experience. And you can start small. And, and there are just a multitude of benefits, including how you feel aligned. So again, if you're enjoying clinical and you're, you know, your tank is full, that's fantastic because we need clinical workers, but the distribution is really, um, it's, it's not equal, right? So if we've got over 60% in clinical, let's go with 3% in private practice, but consumers, are not healthy and they have health, health outcomes, multitude of health outcomes ranging from mental health to obesity, right? But we're not there statistically speaking, right? Because we're in a hospital and we're not presenting information, whether it's in the form of a PDF, uh, you know, being out there for free or whether we're offering paid work, then we're not going to be able to, to be a resource to help people. So I think it's really important that we uh, take some energy and time and know that other people have done it before us. Um, to pr provide resources, both free and paid, for consumers to achieve the health outcomes they want, because ultimately that is why we became a dietitian. And if you're in your clinical job or you think you need to go down that route and you're not convinced to just start private practice right off the bat, you can build it on the side like I have and many of, of my clients, because building it on the side is a creative outlet. And it's a way for you to explore how you want to package information in a way that you see people can receive well. And it's really fun and it feels really good to know, you know what, I've experienced with diabetes and I've been in, for example, I've been in clinical for 10 years, but I can take this information and I can take how I've helped people and package it and then sell it to other people and make money and then have people 
transform their lives, decrease their A1C and get help from somebody um, who's really, you know, a credentialed professional who can transform my life. And I think that that, in addition to the, the extra revenue, it just feels really fulfilling as a clinician to be able to help more people. And I think dietitians in general and women specifically uh, need to start thinking bigger. And if we stay within these confined thoughts of going through the traditional, uh, you know, that traditional realm of clinical to this job that I climb up the ladder this way, I get paid $10 more per or three, $2 more, whatever, uh, let's say of whatever percentage raise, maybe if you even get that raise, uh, it's, it's going to perpetuate that same type of thinking. And then we're not going to be seen as professionals because one of the biggest complaints dietitians say is why don't consumers know what a dietitian is? And they don't know because we're not out there presenting ourselves because we're hidden in our clinical offices. So it's really important that we're able to position ourselves so that we can be seen and heard. And I think that that's fulfilling not only for us, but also for consumers. And I think we can change that status quo, right, of us going into clinical if we all can really just break through our limiting beliefs and, and know that for those of you listening, you're not the first person to do this. There are literally thousands of dietitians who are in private practice and, and numbers more so now than I've seen before and that we've seen before. And, and that number is growing. And um, in terms of having that wider impact when you work in freelance or private practice, do you think social media plays a large role in that? Yeah, I mean, that that is my number one uh, tip to recommend is because social media helps you cast a wider net. Um, and that's how people find information, right? So if people want to look for a restaurant, people want to redesign their apartment, people want to uh, look up some clothes, whatever it is you're doing, you want to look up a service, right? Maybe, hey, I've got some mental health issues. I want to look up a therapist. Where are you looking, right? For anything you want to buy, look at your own behaviors. And it's social media, right? That's where I connect with friends. That's where I connect with peers. That's where I literally am looking to redesign my new apartment, right? I listen to podcasts. I scroll through Pinterest. And that's how consumers are finding their information too when it comes to achieving the health outcomes that they want to achieve. And so it you know, would behoove us as clinicians, as dietitians, whether you're already in clinical or you're in school thinking about it, wherever you are on your trajectory, to really position yourself as an expert right? And be on social media. So when people are looking up information, you pull up, right? So social media is the number one modern way that consumers are looking for help. And that's an opportunity for us for free to position ourselves, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, podcast, even LinkedIn, right? And you're just setting up your profile and, and posting some stories, um, posting on your feed and letting people know like who you do or who you are, what you do and how you help them. Um, I, I have a hashtag called show your face. Um, and I encourage people to use a hashtag and tag me for accountability because uh, there's a lot of conversations about how do I stand out? And the best way to stand out is for you to just show up and, and just let people see you and connect with you. And uh, that's a great way to really humanize the experience of connecting online, right? Which is how we connect not just because of COVID, which accelerated that, but in general, like that's how I connect with you, Harriet, right? I've known you for over the years now. And I, I understand your journey. I know your story, even though we've only had a few touch points, right? A handful of touch points over the last few years. I see Harriet, I talk to her, I hear her, right? We've had Zoom interactions and that's beautiful. And that experience wouldn't have happened if we didn't connect on social media. And that's no different than consumers who want to lose weight 
who want to find food freedom, who want to hit their personal best, who want to feed their kids so their kids can grow because they're picky eaters, who want to manage their chronic diseases, whether it be IBS or some other ailment that they just can't get solution for, or their doctor didn't give them enough time and energy and they didn't connect with that person. So I think it's really important. I think we all need to use social media and it's a free tool and it's modern. That's just how people look for help and people are there and they want to pay. So why wouldn't you be that person they're going to pay? Because if we're not positioning ourselves on social, then another nutritionist and non-credentialed professional will, and they'll make that money and they'll help people. Can you um, give us a few examples of clients you work with and how they've successfully used social media to grow their brand? I know there's a, a UK dietitian that you've worked with, for example, a gastro dietitian. Don't yeah, know we, if we can if we can mention names or not. Oh, we, we sure can. Kirsten Jackson's given me a testimonial on my website, so you guys can check that out. She's um, amazing and fantastic. So yeah, she's a UK example. There's uh, several UK dietitians, and I'm happy to give examples. I've got literally hundreds of testimonials, over 200 interviews on my podcast, and then I reshare those stories on my YouTube with some visuals, and I post client stories every day on Instagram. So I've, I've worked with over a thousand dietitians. So you name a country or a specialty and I will give you an example. Um, to go with Kirsten Jackson, she came to me and she said, you know, I really uh, want to, she said from UK living in Dubai at the time. And she said, I want to be able to position myself as an authority figure in IBS. I just don't know how to use social. She had, I remember she had a picture of her. I think it was like with some food or, a, you know, some kind of sandwich or something from another country. And it was kind of like a grainy selfie and or some kind of picture. And it was a good start, right? But it wasn't clear what she was doing. And after working together, she was able to get her message that she knew she wanted to help people with IBS and translate it in a way uh, that people resonate with on Instagram. She was not only able to grow her following, I can't remember what she's up to right now, over 30,000, I believe, on Instagram, but she's also been able to really make more money and get systems and streamline that process. So she's been interviewed on my podcast, Dietitian Boss, as well as a testimonial on my website. She's a great example of a, a true leader who's been able to um, make her way in that space. And we worked together in I think 2018, so uh, a, a while ago. Um, and so she's really been able to position herself as an authority figure on social and create content um, that her audience wants to see. And if you check out her feed, she shows her face often, right? Throughout her pregnancy, um, after her delivery, she shares information about her husband. And, and that's another story. You know, we all have our own way of how we want to share who we are. Some of my clients don't like to show their family or their kids, and, and that's okay too. So we can choose how we want to position ourselves. But what matters more than the semantics of do I show my child's face or not, that's a very personal decision. Um, what matters more than that is, am I consistently putting myself out there and am I solving a big problem that people are going to pay for? Because if you're not, again, you're, you're really like letting consumers down uh, because there's so many consumers that are, that are, they're literally searching every day. They're searching for everything that we offer. And Kirsten is pulling up as an expert. Right. She, she certainly is. She's, she's doing a phenomenal job. She's the IBS dietitian on social media, in case anyone's li listening and, and wondering how to find her. Um, but just to clarify, Kirsten offers, as an example, Kirsten offers um, subscription services to her business. Is that correct? For anyone looking for support with IBS, that's how her business model operates. She has, she has a membership. She's also previously had a course and then she's also done coaching. So she's offered a myriad of different services in the past. Um, and she's really doubled down on her subscription service, which is a very popular way. She's definitely, um, she's an innovative woman because she got on that before memberships were even a big, like memberships now are 
such a big thing. And, and she was all about it years ago. So yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean she doesn't do other, other stuff. So keep in mind, she started off by doing consultations and then she progressed to a subscription service and she shares that whole story on my podcast on Dietitian Boss. So you can search that on my website and that'll pull up and you can listen to her interview really inspiring. And since she's, you know, from the UK, I know all of you listening would enjoy to hear her, um, her experience, right? Definitely. Um, some people listening may find that a bit overwhelming, almost a bit daunting if they're still working clinically, but wanting to perhaps dabble in the freelance private practice world. What would you say to people who currently don't use social media or are not familiar with social media? Is your dietitian boss method out of the equation for them? What, yeah. How do you work with people like that? Great question. So two things. Firstly, I started my business in clinical, right? And now I run a million dollar company and there's no reason why you can't start on the side. As I mentioned earlier, like private practice, you can start it as a side business. It's a creative outlet. So uh, I have several clients. So number one, me, I'm the role model. I started this while I was working in my clinical office. And then Lauren Smith, who's a sorority nutritionist on Instagram, I'm using her as an example, but there are several others. Um, she's, uh, uh, she's a great example of, she started working with me while she was in clinical and she was able to leave her job. And she shares that story in a solo episode, actually on my podcast, where she does the episode and she shares all about leaving her job, how she did it, growing her practice. And she did it from, you know, on the side, just like everybody else does. Right. So you don't need to go into this thinking that it's going to take 40 hours a week. In fact, you know, you, you can, you can commit five to 10 hours a week building your practice, just like starting something new and then integrate processes and develop them and, and then, you know, build it out the way you want and design it. And I think that's the hardest part is that we're trained to be uh, employees and not entrepreneurs. So we don't know how to start something without thinking it needs to be so big and daunting when in fact, it's just like any side project, right? Just like if you were to be, I don't know, uh, creating a speech, Right. So you're going to work on it as on the side on a Tuesday or a Friday, and then you're going to build up and build up until maybe you do more speeches. Right. So it's it's, it's a project that you're going to build. And um, just like Lauren Smith from Sorority Nutritionist, who now is a you know, multi six figure earner and she's full time, she's extremely influential. Um, she started just like most of my other clients working in clinical or I've got dozens of dietitians who started while they were um, in school. Yeah, on that note, dietitians working on their private practice whilst they're still at university, do you think that people need to have a certain number of years of experience before they go and set up their own thing? No, I definitely don't. So my motto is you don't need two years of clinical experience. Uh, You get experience by doing, and we have more experience than people who are positioning themselves as nutritionists and are making 10 times more than we are. So keep in mind that the schooling that we have to be a a nutritionist before we become a dietitian, the courses that we've taken, um, those all count. So yes, we have to keep in mind our scope of practice. No, you're not going to be, you know, uh, giving information or advice about lab values and things that are against your scope of practice. Also in America, you do have to check if you are in a uh, heavily licensed state. So states like uh, Chicago, um, Ohio, I can't remember a few others. Um, They're more strict about when you aren't yet a student. Um, So, of course, you have to do your due diligence, right? Just like there are regulations with every profession. And this is a regulated profession. So you have to check with where you live in America. I can't speak for the UK um, so that you can start selling. But I teach people how to teach uh, within their scope. So number one, check what state you're in. 
right, to make sure it's okay and it's only against the, the rules to start in school in a few states, right? So it's okay in California, it's not a licensure state, not okay in Ohio. So you just know that and you check the box, right? So number one, check your, check your state. And then number two, you want to offer something within your scope. So you don't want to operate outside of your scope and you don't want to be doing lab values and things um, that you need a, a specific uh, license for, or um, that you would need to, um, again, check the licensure again for the other state. Remember how I mentioned, if you're uh, depending on what you're doing, you have to check your state and their state. So uh, it just depends on your scope of practice. But the experience that you have after taking courses in nutrition is more than the, than people who are out there making money with no experience. So those are all excuses, just like us being overly worried about regulations. When if you check the box and do your due diligence and get a contract, you're good. And if you fuss over it beyond that, it's an excuse. It's, it's a reason for us to tell ourselves that we're not good enough and then we're not thinking big enough. Um, and I think that, that you know, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about how what's getting in the way. And if thousands of people have done it before you, why can't you start small? And so I think it's important to have this conversation because the most common thing is that dietitians are still thinking small. Um, and, and I love that you're representing that, Harriet, that you've done other things. You've thought outside the box, even more so in a country where that's not seen and heard. So you're representing innovation the way Carson Jackson has. And I think that, that you guys are great leaders in your space and in your country. And so I hope the listeners are inspired by that. Thank you. That's very kind. I think there is a, a lot of imposter syndrome um, amongst dietitians, certainly. I think one thing that is potentially a barrier for more people going into private practice in the UK is the regulations. I mentioned to you before, Libby, that in the UK, if we're working with brands, for example, there are, are certain regulations that dietitians do need to be aware of and abide by. And a few examples of that are the, the British Dietetic Association's Code of Conduct, and um, the HCPC, which is our regulator, they also have a standard of conduct, performance and ethics. Um, and if you are working with brands, then you need to be aware of things like the Advertising Standards Agency, the ASA. Um, I think you're quite right. If you go and do your due diligence and you familiarise yourself with these um, codes of conduct and policies. And if in doubt, I think always ask for help. Reach out to colleagues who have worked with brands before and get their advice um, what do you say to your clients who are perhaps unsure of whether or not they should associate with a, a certain brand? What, what was the last thing you said? What, should, what would I suggest about what with a certain brand? Uh, what would you say to your, your clients who are unsure as to whether or not it's appropriate for them as a dietitian to associate with a, a particular brand? Well, are we talking about from a regulation angle or are we talking about from a personal branding? Does this person align with my beliefs angle? Because those are two very different conversations and I'm pretty sure you're going with the former. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, I think both angles are interesting. I think um, I think a lot of dietitians from the conversations I've had with fellow freelancers, they might be approached by, for example, um, a, a fruit juice company or a cereal bar and um, they're not sure whether it's um, whether it's okay for them as a dietitian to work with a brand that might be pursued as being less healthy, for example. Yeah. So, so that's the branding angle. So, if we're if, just so I'm clear, are we talking about reg choices about working with a brand related to regulation and related to alignment? Is that correct? I think it's too complicated to go into the regulations. Okay. We've got a set. We've done a separate podcast episode okay. on how how UK health professionals can work with brands legally. Sure. sure. So as far, as far as alignment, um, that's a really popular question and it's a great question. And I think that there are many ways to look about it. The easy answer would be um, if you're not completely opposed to it, you know, you can give it a shot. 
Um, and then the longer answer would be once you think through, which can take a while, and that's okay, that's part of this process. Once you think through who you are, who you want to help, and how you want to position yourself as a uh, practitioner, that can answer your question. And so oftentimes uh, people will make decisions, whether it's focusing their message and let's say weight loss, and then they change their mind and they say, you know what? I don't feel aligned with this for whatever reason, for a lot of reasons why in school we were taught so much uh, about clinical and not as much about entrepreneurship. And, and that's no different than we're taught a lot about weight loss and not about innovative approaches to how people um, you know, think and feel in modern society, which is body positive and intuitive eating framework and whatnot. So it's very common and understandable that a lot of clinicians will switch how they want to position themselves. So what once was aligned isn't. And in that conversation, for example, if you've got a dietitian who says, I'm, I'm good with working with this type of brand because they align and I think it's, you know, it can work and then they change their mind. I think that we need to be kinder to ourselves and understand that that's okay. All right. It all goes into the bucket of, can I make a mistake? And the answer is yes. The only way to move forward in entrepreneurship is to accept that failure is part of the process. So I would say be kind to yourself and give yourself the chance to move forward unless if there's a huge red flag, right? For example, if you're vegan, you're probably not going to work with a dairy council, right? But if you want to work with juice and you, you're going to like look through and think if it does fit criteria of where you are now, then it, you probably want to think about moving forward with that decision if it's reasonably in alignment. Now, as, as far as do I think or what are my thoughts about dietitians representing like food and, and all that kind of stuff, much like you said earlier with the regulations, that's another episode for another time. I have my own thoughts on that. But I will say if you as a practitioner are thinking about getting paid, look at it in two different ways. It's okay to make a mistake. And if there are huge red flags, probably no. But moving forward and getting paid for something is part of the journey in entrepreneurship. Does that answer your question? Yes, that's a brilliant answer. Thank you. Um, so I just I just wanted to um, kind of delve into a bit more about the dietitian boss method as we come to the end of this episode. So can you talk to our listeners a bit more about exactly what you do when you work with a dietitian? How do you operate, Libby? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I created a methodology, a trademark methodology that shows dietitians, whether they're students, uh, they're new in practice, they're working in clinical, or they've been doing this for you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years. Um, my methodology so shows dietitians how to be seen and heard, how to leverage the power of social media to market really clearly and specifically to feel aligned like with who we are as professionals and work with the types of people that we want to, to attract clients in a cash paying business. So the four pillars of my framework are number one, message and visibility. How do you want to position yourself, right? Which can help you decide those brand roles later down the line. Number two, a content strategy. What do you post and how do you post it? And what does that look like? What does social media want to see and what's aligned with you? How are you uniquely positioned? And that's where showing your face can come into hand because you can stand out by just showing up and letting people humanizing that experience, right? Third pillar of my framework is creating and pricing your services. So I'm big on starting with a group program, which is a broad-based education program. And then there are tiers to that where you increase your pricing and you can then like Kirsten Jackson, just do subscription models and whatnot, but starting out with something to really get to know what the client wants. And then the fourth pillar would be having the skills and a written process to enroll people, right? A sales process so that people can give you money. So in my four-step process, um, me and my team, I've got a staff of eight 
um, have a group program and we've got two different levels or coming up with three different levels. So three different product offerings, service offerings to help dietitians who are just starting out be able to, to just start to use social media, whether they're using it, but they don't have a system or a process or whether they um, don't have a social media and they're able to leverage the power of social uh, to attract cash paying clients. Uh, right. And follow the four pillars. And then we also have a, a program called executive where when dietitians are looking to hire and review their budget and make strategic decisions to increase profitability and decrease working in the day to day while hiring and managing a team effectively, right, truly scaling their business. Uh, we have a really special group called executive where we offer a lot of handholding and support for the, that type of clientele. It's really exciting. So basically what we do is throughout your journey, we're able to support you from the beginning to when you're scaling and, and managing a team. Because our, the mission of Dietitian Boss is to create more private practice operators. And the vision is that every dietitian who wants to, to have the skills, knowledge, accountability, confidence, and step-by-step -step framework, she, can, she or he can start and operate a private practice on their terms, whether that's a, a part-time creative outlet or a full-blown, full-time million-dollar business. And you, you've clearly had great success for your clients based on the testimonies on your website and your podcast and your YouTube channel. Um, can you perhaps share um, the, the motivation behind you helping others? Obviously, you built your own successful brand, but what led from you doing it yourself to wanting to help other dietitians? Yeah, and, and I would just add to that and say um, I am most proud of our clients who've been able to create tremendous levels of success like Kirsten Jackson. Um, but I'm also proud of myself because as a female, I've created a million dollar business in three years of starting and only 3% of millionaires are women. So it's really great that I can role model and show you um, that you too can think and act bigger, right? And then when you work with my team, you get to work with a team that's created a vision and a mission that's actualized the direction you want to go in. Even if, it, if you want to go or create something much smaller or that looks different than we have, we have the skills to do that. So that to me is, is extremely motivating for me. Uh, the reason I started doing what I'm doing, uh, I would say the background is I, like many dietitians, felt uh, overworked and underpaid. I didn't get a raise. I didn't feel seen and heard in my office. And I have a tremendous passion and love for nutrition and helping people. And I felt like I was being bottlenecked, right, uh, by myself and my staff at the hospital and in a dimly lit clinical office where I was literally invisible and it made me depressed, truly depressed. And I did all these extra things to work hard, to try to be seen and heard. And I was met with making a little bit of extra money until one day a friend of mine motivated me and said, no, why don't you share your story and find some other people online? And it felt innovative three years ago. And I did it. And I just went on social media on Instagram. I knew I wanted to talk to dietitians. I didn't know it would turn into the business it has today. But my goal was to find and connect with other like-minded practitioners, specifically dietitians, who were doing something outside of that traditional clinical box, right? I knew there had to be more. I didn't feel satisfied. I wanted to work with clients and patients that wanted to see me and I wanted to be paid well, right? I was making $55,000 a year living in New York City, which uh, is, I mean, that's really low. And, and I just wasn't feeling great about all the investment I made in my schooling and my master's degree to get to this destination. My whole, you know, young adult life I had intended on being this spectacular dietitian. And it was, I was met with just a feeling of, of lackluster. And so I think that starting my business or starting my efforts to communicate, which turned into a business was really an effort to connect and to help serve consumers. And the cool thing about what I do, and then you heard earlier when I said, bottom line is to help consumers have access to professional credential resources, right? 
And if consumers don't have access to that, then we're doing them a disservice because we became dietitians to help people. And that's ultimately what this is about. So it's two pronged. Number one, I want to help my colleagues, right? And help them because we're predominantly women, 95% women in, in America here, 90 to 95. I'm assuming statistics are similar in surrounding countries such as you know, Australia, Canada, and the UK. So that being said, women in general struggle with imposter syndrome more than men, statistically speaking. So we've got a lot of really kind, loving, dedicated, educated women who aren't asking for much money, aren't receiving much money, and are generally unhappy and underappreciated and underutilized, yet highly educated even more so than nursing, yet significantly less underpaid according to statistics. So I felt the need to help my colleagues and my peers and, and support them and then also grow with them because it felt lonely in my clinical office when I was speaking and doing all these things and I had no one to share it with and I wanted to find colleagues. And so in my efforts to share my extracurricular activities is how I yielded my business, right? So one thing was to help my colleagues. That was first and foremost, but ultimately one of the coolest things I've been able to do is actually indirectly help consumers because for every dietitian that we serve, and for all the clients she's able to serve, right? All the thousands of clients that Kirsten's able to serve with her membership means that indirectly, my business is actually helping consumers, more consumers being reached. So the vision we have, a, a, it's called a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's posted on our website is within 20 years, we wanna help 10,000 dietitians help a million consumers. So it's two prong. Number one, again, more dietitians, more women, right? Are thinking bigger, acting bigger, feeling fulfilled, making money, being financially independent, super important to me as well. Um, as a woman also came from a single parent home. So it's just in my DNA to be independent and represent and help other women and, and help give them that freedom and empowerment. And then number two, consumers no longer have to look and find lackluster resources or limited resources or resources that aren't credentialed, don't know what they're doing, et cetera, because we can position ourselves as authority figure and, and figures and help more consumers. So really those two factors are, are great. And when I see the testimonials from my clients or consumers who are able to get their period back and overcome hypothalamic amenorrhea, who are able to fall pregnant after, you know, being infertile and, and learning through nutrition, how their lives can be improved, right? The myriad of different health outcomes that our clients achieve is truly also because our clients followed the method and we're able to get those clients in the first place. So it just feels really good to know that our business has that two-pronged effect both of course with dietitians and then ultimately the, the, the thousands and thousands of consumers with efforts to achieve a million. Thank you for sharing that, Libby. I mean, it's incredibly inspiring hearing you talk. And, and like you said, you, you must be so proud of what you built. And is it right in saying your, your partner works alongside you at Dietitian Boss now as well? My, my husband? Your husband, yeah. No, he, he does not work alongside me in Dietitian Boss. No, I, um, he's a supporter, but he, he doesn't work in the company. We've thought about that, but no, he doesn't. I hired, uh, I have a full-time operations director. She's amazing. She's a coach in our program as well, which is great because she, uh, I'm, I'm more sales and marketing and, and vision heavy, and she's very much process heavy. So together we add a great synergistic effect to help our higher level clients with some of those uh, you know, areas that come into play and the principles with scaling that such as hiring and budget and, and all those types of things. So I have a staff of people from around the world um, and coaches and professionals and experts of eight, but no, my husband right now is, is not, he is, uh, he, he's doing his own thing. He's an aviator. That's probably, probably a good thing. You need to switch off time to time. It, it can go either way. I've thought about it. And actually one of my most successful clients, Talian Halakatorian, her husband, Sidorak, works in their company now, which is amazing. And it works for them. Another client, uh, Ryan Kipping, prenatal nutritionist, her husband also works in her company now too. And she's hired her sister. Family-owned businesses is a thing and it definitely can work. 
And I've seen it in my clients and I'm in entrepreneur groups. I'm actually on committee for two entrepreneur groups. And it's a very, very common that you, you have family owned businesses. So it's not a path I've gone down yet. Also, my husband doesn't quite have my same personality. So he enjoys doing his own thing. He's not, he's a little bit more of an employee mindset. He's very good at following a process, but I don't, uh, for we hire based on culture and I don't think his culture would fit our company now, but that doesn't mean there's not an opportunity in the future, but we're really, really strict about who we hire. We hire based on culture and our core values. And for anyone listening, that's not sure what that means. I've got a podcast episode, several podcast episodes about that. What are core values? How do you hire based on behavioral competencies? And again, that's what we teach in our executive program as well, because when you want to scale a business, you have to really make those decisions off of the foundational principles of managing people and developing a clear culture in your company. Amazing. Well, never say never. Who knows where the future of Dietitian Boss will go? I mean, who knows? It's it's been an amazing last three years and and who knows for the future. But um, if anything, I, you know, really hope that dietitians start to think bigger and, and believe and know um, it's, it's, it's not a, a myth. It's a fact that there are other dietitians out there starting on the side and making it full time. And there's no reason why a dietitian who wants to can't, right? There's no reason. So I just want to make that clear. So Libby, we're just coming to the end of this podcast now. If you could leave people with one piece of information to take away from this episode, what would you say that would be? Yep, uh, I would say show your face. So no matter whether you have a personal feed or a business feed, go on your stories, even if like, wherever you are, whatever, I don't care if it's LinkedIn, um, Instagram, this probably makes the most sense. Use the hashtag, show your face, tag me for accountability. And I would just start there. Let's start with that one. I could build up off of it and tell you to do more things, but if you're not already showing your face every day, you need to start with doing it once. And after you do it one time, you can do it more, but people need to see you in order to know you. And they need to, to, um, in order to like you, they have to know you. And in order to buy from you, they have to like you. Do you get what I'm saying? So in order for them to buy from you, they have to see you and know that you're a human, especially with the world of COVID, lack of connections. Um, you have to humanize that experience and online. And it's, it's a new language for us, right? Because we're used to shaking people's hands and going to class and grabbing lunch and getting to know somebody. But that's not how people are doing business in the post-COVID era. People are doing business online and we have to adapt to that language. And that language is showing your face. So go ahead and do that. Tag me for accountability because I got you and uh, start from there. I better start doing that then. Noted. Yeah, yeah start, tag me for accountability. I'm actually, yeah. I snapped a, a screenshot and I'm going to do that and, and use the hashtag show your face when we wrap here because I practice what I preach and I got to, you know, inspire and motivate the people so that they're following suit. Because remember, that's the vision is that all dietitians um, who want to and start their own private practice, have the skills, knowledge, accountability, and confidence to do so. So it's important that I role model that on a regular basis and not just be my team, right? And my entire team. Okay, so just coming to the end, I'm gonna ask you a couple of quick fire questions. So um, feel free to um, elaborate on the answers if you wish to do so. Um, What would you say has been your greatest achievement, Libby, professionally or personally? My greatest achievement to date was putting in my resignation letter, letter for my clinical job. That's a pretty hard hitting. My yeah. what was that? I was saying. I mean, that's it. That's influenced exactly where you got to today. So it, yep. you know, it's probably the stepping stone to your success. Yep, I'm gonna frame it on my wall. I'm gonna put it on top of my degree from New York University. My resignation <laughs> letter. So number one, resigning from my clinical job. Number two, creating a million dollar business. And then um, number three, I would say just the, the thousands of 
dietitian client successes um, to see not just a few, multiple dozens and dozens of dietitians lead clinical, create six figure businesses. I think another milestone will be when my first client hits a million. Um, just because remember, only 3% of millionaires are women. So if I can get one of our clients and they don't all want that, right? But we do have a couple that do. So once they hit a million, that'll be a huge milestone for us. Absolutely. So on that note, tell me about a dietitian who really inspires you personally. Um, not a dietitian, a, a nutritionist. That's Dr. Marion Nessel. Um, she's the reason why I became a dietitian um, because she uh, she is the famous blogger of food politics. She's written like 12 books. And what I love about Dr. Marion Nessel, she founded the food studies program at NYU. I interviewed her uh, on my YouTube a while back. Um, she's innovative. She thinks outside the box. She's not afraid to say who she is. And she used social media like 10 years ago before it was even a thing, Twitter and her blog. And she's, she's like 80 something. So wow. she's not only innovative and a trendsetter, but she speaks her mind, says it how it is. And she's got a great, clear brand and she's not afraid to be her individual self. And I think she's an exceptional role model. And I love the fact that she's not particularly young. I think she's a fantastic role model for all of us dietitians to say, I'm going to you know, put a line in the sand and this is who I am. And she's done such a great job at that. So I became a dietitian because she motivated me to think that there was more to dietetics than just protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And there are. And she certainly breaks down that, that misconception that you, you can be, you know, you're too old to be on social media. I mean, what an incredible example. We None of us have got excuses, have we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that leads me to my final question. Dietitians are all about food. What would your last meal be if you were cast off to a desert island? Oh, what would my last meal be if I, like, before the desert island? You're, you're, yeah, you get one amazing meal before you're cast off. Um, pizza. Pizza. Any kind of pizza? Let's go, let's go with just a simple thin crust cheese pizza, preferably from an Italian restaurant with a glass of full body dry red wine. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Just, right? just need a bit of sun there, maybe <laughs> sitting on an Italian beach somewhere. And then a side salad. They got to have some greens in there. So yeah, that, I mean, it's that simple, right? You don't have to make it complicating. My food choices are as simple as my methodology to creating revenue. You just use Instagram, you use social media and you get leads. It's, it's really that simple. So I try to keep my life minimal across the board and really, really, truly embody what I practice in every single way. And once you get to know me more and you listen to me and you see how I live my life, you will see that minimalist style is adopted across in every aspect. I love that. You really do practice what you preach. Libby, it's been a real pleasure having you on the Dietitian Cafe. Thank you for joining us today. We will link in the show notes to your website and your social media pages. Um, anything else that you'd like to add? I would, well, thank you for having me, Harry. It's been a pleasure. I would say uh, for those of you listening, uh, make sure to, to give me a follow. I'm on Instagram at Libby Rothschild, uh, website's Dietitian Boss, uh, YouTube's Dietitian Boss, podcast is Dietitian Boss, and you can find us on LinkedIn at Libby Rothschild, and then their company page is Dietitian Boss. 